0: Welcome back to your favorite podcast, Locked In. On today's episode, I have John Vibbert here to tell his story of, of about how an overdose that he was connected to lands him in a one-year stint in the Danbury, Connecticut Federal Prison. This story hits close to home because not only did I spend time in the Danbury, Connecticut Federal Prison, kind of near the same time he was serving, but we didn't actually meet in the prison itself we end up meeting at the halfway house after we're both released from prison. And in this episode, we dive in to our time in the halfway house. John has a great personality. You're really going to connect to a story. He's also a single father, just an all-around great guy. And the energy he's going to bring to this is awesome. So guys, get ready for my interview with John Vibbert. You're going to love this one. It's a little bit different. And we get to focus on what exactly is a federal halfway house. Thank you to Factor for sponsoring today's episode. I honestly can't get over how good Factor meals are. Factor delivers delicious, fresh, never frozen meals that are ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. You could support our show by heading to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off your order. Thank you guys for tuning in to Locked In. Thank you guys for the support. We've been in the top 200 podcasts for society and culture week over week for the last couple months. Wouldn't be here without you guys today. The listeners on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, the viewers on YouTube, everyone that views our short clips on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube Shorts. It's all because of you guys that we're at this level. If you guys could take a quick second as well and give us a like a comment, subscribe, a share and head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. That's all I got for you guys today. I'll stop rambling over here. Enjoy my interview with John Vibbert. John Viver, welcome to Locked In, man. I hyped you up in the intro we recorded earlier. So I said, you know, you're you got a great personality, great guy. So you, you gotta bring the energy to me on this one, right? Oh Lord, you're putting the pressure. <laughs> a lot of pressure. But John, thank you for making the drive out here and, and coming to the show. We've been meaning to do this for like months now since we started. Um, and I had you written down in my notes and then I was going through it the other day. I was like, you know what? Let me hit up John, uh, whenever we booked this a few weeks ago. So I'm glad we were able to find the time.
1: Cool. Cool. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So let's start at the beginning of your story. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Fairfield, Connecticut.
1: You know, uh, I come from a good family and everything. Uh, you know, my parents got divorced, but that's relatively, uh, you know, it's common and stuff. Um, my forays into getting in trouble probably really started in uh, in high school, early in high school. Um, I think a lot of it came from, like, maybe not boredom in, like, the classic sense of boredom, but um, just the mundane, not exciting me enough. So it was, you know, first with the drinking and everything. I smoked cigarettes. I played football. I, I kind of like to live on the edge. And... and uh, I think the first time I got arrested, I was 16.
0: Wow, 16 years old? 16, yeah. There was a keg party. (laughs) A keg party at high school? Yeah. yeah, Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: out in a soccer field. We used to carry the kegs out into the middle of a field. Yeah. And uh, this was like common practice. You know, Friday and Saturday night, that's what we did. Then the police would come and everybody would run. And uh, so this happened, and I ran, and... uh, they ran after me. <laughs> like, uh, you know, probably about 50, 60 people got away. And uh,
0: you were the one that got caught. <laughs> one
1: of us didn't, you know. <laughs> and uh, so my mom had to pick me up. I think actually my mom and my dad came. And uh, the only thing that could really get them to agree is <laughs> me getting in trouble. You Did know?
0: they like handcuff you and stuff too? Or? Oh, yeah.
1: They put me in the holding cell and everything.
0: <laughs> At 16, 16
1: wow. charging me with possession of alcohol.
0: So minor. did they like plead you out like it was like a whatever probation or whatnot
1: yeah i got like um community service yeah and i used to play basketball i was a good basketball player and we had this gym in, in in fairfield so i asked the guy there i said can i do my community service i'll keep the score of the basketball game and do the scoreboard and stuff um that's awesome were you an only child too no i have a, a full sister from both my mom and dad and then i've got a half brother who, uh, you know, I'm 43. My brother now is, let's see, 17 years younger than me. So he's 25, 26.
0: About almost my age, I'm 28 now. You're making me feel old. Well, when you met me, I was 24. (laughs) I was just getting out. Unbelievable, right? (laughs) It's crazy. We were just talking about it, you know, 10 minutes ago about how it's been four years since we saw each other. It's like a little reunion. Yeah. That's wild. Um, Who are you closest to? Like out of the siblings and your parents? my mom
1: okay me and my mom are real tight you know i think it, that's how uh, italian families are the, the, boy, the boys stay with the mom you know yeah um me and my sister are cool me and my brother are cool i mean there's a 17 year age difference i think luckily for my brother you know while i was raising all this hell he was you know going to elementary school and you know in fairfield connecticut it's like you know I, the first time i went to prison was in 2010 down in north carolina and I think it's a fair, a safe bet that my brother was uh, the only kid at Fairfield Woods Middle School with a, with a sibling <laughs> in prison, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think he kind of like got, got the message at that young age. You know, if he was a little bit older, or just a couple years behind me, I think a lot of times people have, you know, can negatively influence their siblings but he now he's a, a a lieutenant in the coast
0: guard oh wow he's a big shot so he didn't follow your path not even <laughs>
1: close <laughs> not even close so
0: what were like your aspirations as a kid did you have like dreams goals visions or anything at a young age i wanted to play point guard for the knicks you know but <laughs> around
1: about 11 that started to <laughs> i started to realize that may not be happening um i don't think i did i think it's a common thread throughout my life actually i'm pretty good in the moment you know I'm pretty good I but setting long-term goals and stuff like that has never really been my thing you know
0: and not everyone's like that not everyone can set long-term goals like that no no I
1: wasn't I wasn't very good at school I uh I always did well on the tests and stuff but um I was just a terrible student you know I had a couple like learning disabilities nothing nothing wild or anything but um I think kind of by my nature, something like that, you know, I'm not going to persevere over something like that. I'm going to go around and find a way to maximize what I'm good at, you know, or stick with what I'm good at. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that my childhood and stuff was cool. It was cool. You know, I got a great family. I'm definitely the black sheep of the family. <laughs>
0: you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a lot of friends in high school?
1: I did. I did. You know, I, I, uh, I played football. I was was a pretty good football player, so I had my group of football friends I was real tight with.
0: One of the jocks. Kind of, but not like... I hung out with everybody, you know? I hung out with everybody. Um, How would people describe you? If we asked someone from your high school days, how do you think they would uh, put a description on you? They'd probably say, oh, oh, Lord. (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) God,
1: where do I start? But um, I I, I think it's safe to say I was pretty unique. And that, you know, I did hang out with some of the popular people and this and that, but that wasn't
0: really my uh,
1: calling card. I like to party. That's, you know, that's really what it came
0: down to. Yeah. Uh, Who doesn't, though? In, in high school, you're on the sports team, you know?
1: Yes. Yeah. But I think it was pretty evident in retrospect that, um, especially early on in those formative yeah. years, that my, the way that my body reacts to alcohol is very different than the way that other people's bodies react to alcohol. So you're a lightweight or? No, no, far, well, in some sense, you know, I gave up drinking. I was probably about 24, 25 years old. And, um, you know, I would go out to the bar and have like three drinks and be fully loaded and then have 13 more, you know? Really? Yeah, I, I, I think my body was so, excited to get the alcohol in it those first couple drinks would really just prime my body up then I'd keep going
0: (laughs) kicked out of the bar and so you don't drink at all anymore no no for that it's been that long no
1: no I had uh you know we'll get into some of the the drug problems I had and stuff but uh about six seven years ago I had relapsed um from you know I was a heroin addict and uh i had a, I started drinking one night. I went to my friend's house, and just out of the blue, he had a bottle of tequila and I started drinking it, it was one shot, two shot, three shot and uh, I went back to my apartment and uh I think my roommate had called me a pussy over something, <laughs> and I really wasn't having it, you know, and I hit him and gave him a black eye, and you know he came at me with a knife and you know. It, it was this wild, wild scene. He woke up the next day with the two black eyes, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I lost my phone in the snow. It was a snowstorm. I lost my phone. So then uh, the next morning, I'm like, I gotta go buy a phone. So I'm walking to the Boost Mobile store in Black Rock in Bridgeport, you like turn this corner and there's a liquor store right there. And uh, you know, this is the first time I drank in probably about 10 years, 11 years all this mayhem happens. And I turned that corner and saw that liquor store, M- my mind immediately went to, uh, yeah, I could, you know, I could really use a drink right now, you know? <laughs> and uh, quickly something came about me like, oh my God, that's a terrible idea, <laughs>
0: you yeah. know?
1: And I haven't had a drink since then.
0: Isn't it crazy how our minds like react to that? Like it brings you to certain moments, like even at our lowest points like that, like I remember being in prison, it'll flash back to like the most random thing which will remind me of something and it kind of like connects i don't know it's just like strange
1: absolutely i i you know for me there's like that aspect of euphoria from the drugs and the alcohol yeah and my mind can push out all the damage and all the bad stuff and i'll just get this flash of like oh you know that was fantastic this is gonna be great and yeah with 20 years of hard evidence to the contrary (laughs) so did
0: you go to college after high school
1: i went to a couple i went to um a community college for one year took a few classes i I graduated high school with like uh, a 1.9 gpa but then i took my sats and uh, at the time the sats was like out of 1600 and i got an 1130 and I had gotten something like a 6.30 on the math. I think I got 6.30 math and 500 verbal. And, um,
0: Is I, that good or bad?
1: It, it's not good in the It was good in the sense that my guidance counselor was like, with, with the math classes you've taken, it's virtually impossible to get a 6.30 in math, you know? But um, So I always, I'm good with arithmetic. I could always think, but, man, I had trouble in school. So I went to the community college, and uh, that didn't last long. And I went up to the school in upstate Vermont, um i'm a big grateful dead fan and this was all my grateful dead people up there unbeknownst to me when i signed up to go up there and uh i got locked in with this truly wild group of people up there and uh it was right at home that lasted a year so you know i went to college I i went in and out of college but never got a degree or
0: anything so i never graduated college no no did did you have like a major when you went in or you were just going to go
1: I, at one point, it was like a journalism slash creative writing major. What I really wanted to do was actually, you know what, you asked me before, what did I want to do? I wanted to uh, cover sports, you know, I'm a big professional sports fan, and uh, that's really what I wanted. In, in hindsight, I hadn't thought about that in years, but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a sports <laughs> reporter, you know?
0: Isn't it cool to like sit down reminisce? Like, because no one ever asks us about like, our, in this type of setting... Unless you it, like, you just don't talk about it. You meet someone for the first time, you're not talking about your childhood unless it's like a girlfriend. Absolutely. But, like, not, no one's yeah. like sitting down talking about like emotions and feelings. And I don't know. It's just, it's always interesting and fascinating to see where someone's came from and how it unravels. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. So, when does the like the drug use start?
1: Well, the, like I had explained before, there was clear alcohol problems. You know, I was a wild drinker and, um, then it was cocaine and lsd and this and that and there was big problems with the cocaine and stuff i think really when the legal problems started coming in around 26 years old or so 25 i went out to the bar I'm like i wasn't allowed at bars i wasn't allowed anywhere and, and uh this dude from my hometown came up to me at the bar and was like dude you need to chill out you know and he gave me a bag of heroin he tells you to chill
0: out and gives you heroin <laughs> well i sniffed it you, st- you could sniff heroin? You could sniff it, yeah. Oh, man. You,
1: generally, that's how people start, by sniffing it. Okay. And uh, I did that bag of heroin. I had like two drinks. I might not even finish the second drink. My whole body was relaxed. I was like, holy cow. You know, like I went to bed at night, which was something that didn't happen often when I drank. And uh, I woke up the next day was like, I have found my solution, you know? yeah. I started doing that and like, you know, I go out to the bar and the girls I went to high school with be like, Oh my God, this is like having the old John back. This is great.
0: (laughs) What are like the effects of mixing that with alcohol? Or are you stopping alcohol to do this? Basically the heroin supplanted the alcohol, you know, um, it just took
1: over. That's that it became its own, its own beast at
0: that point in time. And how are you paying for it? Do you have a job? What are you doing for work? Back then I would, you know, I had like little construction jobs and this and
1: that. And I always had a little, I could always hustle a little bit, find a, a gig here, a gig there. Or a lot of times, like I said, I grew up in Fairfield. There's a lot of people I grew up with that maybe weren't so keen on going and buying their own drugs. Yeah. And uh, I was not scared, you know, so I'd kind of be the everybody gives me 200 bucks and I go round up what needs to be rounded up.
0: And you get the free drugs out of it. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. And maybe some cigarette money and beer
0: money. And were you living
1: on your own? Let's see. I think when I started with the heroin, I was, I was living in black rock with one of my friends and, uh, to show you the effects, like I lived with my buddy, probably one of my best friends, Nick and, um, Shortly thereafter, I couldn't pay the rent, so one of our other friends moved in. And now, Nick, he liked to sell drugs as well, not heroin really, but like pills and, and weed. And probably about three weeks after I moved out, the house got raided by the police. It was like, <laughs>
0: So does the new roommate get in trouble too? He didn't really. The the,
1: the guy, Nick kind of owned up to it. I think they had a pretty good idea of what they were walking into and who, who they were really
0: trying to get. Do you think that if you still stayed there, that could have saved you and maybe helped you? No, No, I wouldn't have changed anything. No, you know, I, I think like there's a lot of
1: wreckage in my past. And, uh, but I think like a lot of that was like necessary steps, you know? No. Um, that leads to where I'm at now, which is a, a pretty cool place. You and
0: know? where's your family during this time? Are they trying to help you at all? Are they stepping in like your sister, your mom, your dad? M- mom and dad, yeah. I think the first time I went to rehab, I was probably like 27.
1: And uh, I used to work at this bar as a bouncer. That was another one of my hustles. I'd be a bouncer. And this, <laughs> this guy I worked with, Ronnie, was like.
0: You'd be a good bouncer. I'd hire you back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm the, b- despite my size, I'm not really aggressive though. That that was the one issue I had.
0: Yeah, but you that. look intimidating. That's yeah.
1: <laughs> if I look intimidating. This dude I worked with, Ronnie, was this bald. He was kind of kind of ugly dude, bald, huge, big, strong guy. I mean, you see him from a mile away and be like, man, I am not fucking with that <laughs> guy. You
0: know? Yeah.
1: And. Uh, he got mad at me. I think he didn't like that I did heroin, and uh, he took like I had a bunch of cocaine to sell or something, and he took it from me. And uh, so the next morning, I went up to where he was living at his grandma's house and was like, "Yo, give me the money or give me the drugs." And we got. He said, "I'll take you to go get it." And we got in his jeep. And he's driving, and when it became evident that he wasn't giving me anything, I turned around and I hit him. I, like as soon as I did, I was like, "Oh my God! I can't believe I just did that." And the car swerved off the road and hit the curb and he got on top of me and boom, 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 boom. And, uh, I got back to where I was staying in Blackrock and Bridgeport at the time. And I called my dad and I said, dad, I think I need to go to rehab. You know, and I remember looking down, like I was covered in blood, you know, some of mine, some of his, yeah. and, uh, I strolled into rehab bloody and, and, and beat up.
0: So what happened? Why wasn't that like the end of the story? You get clean and, and life is good. It's really just not that simple, you know, like the the reasons
1: why I ended up doing heroin and drinking like that are a little bit deeper seated than like, I want to go out and have a good time and have a few drinks tonight, you know, like, um, I was basically like maladjusted to life where, you know, and and then you reach a certain point where you're 26, 27 years old, you have some friends that are having kids and some friends that are getting married and i can't stop drinking and doing drugs i went to the i went to the rehab fighting too i wanted I, I i i knew what i was doing didn't really work and was a path towards disaster but like this whole like you know finding god and this and that that they preach at rehab really was not uh appealing to me at that time and to a large extent even now you know um but i went you know i went in and out and I. Th- I think i realized after i got out i was i smoked weed i think but i was clean probably from heroin probably for about eight months nine months and uh i started going again and uh i went to rehab again i met a girl from north carolina (laughs) and uh she was a real piece of work and so we we planned i was going to go down there and hang out with her and uh i did i brought a whole bunch of dope with me and everything and uh, this is 2009 probably to sell the doper or- not really i mm-hmm. mean i needed it at that point in time but like if there was somebody around that wanted to give me 30 bucks for a bag that you get in the bronx for six dollars yeah like, I, you know i i'd give it to him
0: and how old were you in 2009 29 29 so you go down you're trying to start like a new life with this girl no not oh. even
1: i just want to go spend two weeks oh that's it you're yeah. <laughs> okay so you yeah. go there what happens so we party the first night's great everything goes cool with me and her and then uh the next morning knock on the door and she was on probation and oh, someone man. that i had given one of the bags of dope to went to the police and they uh they came in they could search her house dogs the whole the whole nine and uh <laughs> They arrested me with 76 bags
0: of heroin. You had 76 bags of heroin on you? Yeah. Yeah. How how are you not still in jail right now? I don't understand.
1: Well, first, I wasn't really a drug dealer, you know? I've got, now, the one we'll get into later, I've got these two convictions for selling heroin. And
0: I didn't even realize you had the first one. I I don't think anyone really knows about that. No,
1: (laughs) you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um. uh,
0: So they raid the place, they arrest you, what happens? I go into the local county jail
1: and uh, just kind of got, you know, when you're doing heroin, you get sick when you stop.
0: I've seen guys detox from heroin, it's bad. Yeah, it's brutal, it's brutal.
1: So they put me in this little room by myself and, uh, oh, it was brutal. I remember they had the, the nurse from down south. I had brought with me this subutex, it's called, which is like medication that helps with the detox. So I had a prescription for it, and I was all gung-ho that at the jail they were gonna give me this prescription. And uh, I'm telling the lady when she comes in to check on me, like, really, I just need my medicine. And she she was a, this Southern lady, and she's, I'll give you your medicine. And she comes in with a Bible and chucks it on my bed. So that's all the medicine you need, get yourself better. <laughs> oh, so man, my, if I had the energy, I would have gotten up and screamed, you know? Yeah. But uh, I eventually my mom came down and bonded me out and uh how
0: was that conversation
1: brutal (laughs) brutal there's this uh, we she came down flew down to north carolina we flew back you know it's uh, it's just a brutal couple of days we walk into my mom's house and i'm telling you we weren't there 15 minutes and it starts thundering and lightning and she's got this like 75 foot tulip tree in the front yard boom dropped a branch down and broke the picture window in front of the house uh, you know I, I said i'm not too crazy about the idea of god and everything but i was kind of looking up at that <laughs> point like holy shit oh <laughs> you know? wow. yeah so it was brutal all around
0: and did you talk to the girl that you went down there with at all again
1: yeah yeah we stayed cool you know i, I was so immature and stuff uh that i would latch on to things like that you know the beautiful girl with the southern accent and and stuff like that and uh so yeah so then I eventually had to go to court and everything and uh I, I went and did I think it was seven months
0: you did seven months in a North Carolina jail North Carolina state prison what was that like
1: you know it was to tell you that this is gonna sound crazy coming out of my mouth but it was
0: kind of <laughs> laid back
1: you know really and in North
0: Carolina it was just chill it
1: kind of was in, in a large sense I mean the county jail sucked it was terrible. Mm-hmm. But they sent me uh, down in Wilmington, North Carolina. There was like an airport next door. So they always had these air shows and it was I, what they deem a camp, you know. you So
0: you're low security. Green clothes, yeah. Okay. And
1: uh, you know, you get a job in the kitchen and sell a little food. And down there, it was different down there than like in the federal prison where- um,
0: Yeah, we're gonna get into all the federal prison stuff. That's not your day. <laughs> were, were you um, clean when you were in the North Carolina prison? Or were you doing drugs inside?
1: No, I never really got into the whole doing drugs inside thing. I didn't, I'm not, I, I'm i not really built for prison. Like some people could go to prison and be real industrious and stuff and make money and have these kind of hustles and that <laughs> kind of hustles. I'm really not.
0: You're just chill. No, yeah, I don't. I you don't, go with the flow. Yeah, I don't have it in me to do all that, you know. It's so crazy that you went to North Carolina, you end up staying there in prison yeah it was brutal <laughs> you went on a two-week trip and you got caught up there yeah it was terrible it's like the people that like go overseas to like different countries and then get caught with something and they're ending their whole life changes because they're doing like a, a jail sentence
1: like the eight, what's that <laughs> that uh, locked up abroad yeah you're just doing
0: it <laughs> a different state yeah do you think like a lot of your troubles came from being like lost in life not having purpose and, and figuring what you wanted to do
1: absolutely absolutely um, I think sometimes my mind moves faster than my body. So like I would have ambitions, you know, but um, a
0: difficult time fulfilling them, you know. And that's got to be tough just like being at that age because you're almost 30 at that point. Yeah. So when you when you finally get out, what's your mindset?
1: Um, well, I, before, prior to that, I had gotten this job. I moved to New York and I got this job with the plumbers union in New York, yeah. in New York City. This is
0: right after North Carolina prison or?
1: Actually, I think I got in the apprenticeship slightly before yeah because I was working in New York when I got arrested I left I took two weeks off from work and never came back (laughs) so like a week or maybe a month before I got out of North Carolina I got in contact with the Union and they took me back in and uh, which was a big thing you know they had like this uh, CAD program where they took like the four top math students from the 250 apprentices and put them in this special computer animated design program and, uh, you know, they was, they made a big deal about it. And, uh, you know, I, I was a full, I was a heroin addict, you know, and they have this big meeting and they're like, uh, so the four people that get in, David uh, Almadova, uh, Danny Fortini, and then they called out John viber, And the whole room was like, this dude? <laughs> you know, How the hell did he die? But I had one of the top mass scores. So I was doing, like, really well in that, even as a full-on heroin, heroin. addict. But...
0: Um, so you went right back into heroin when you
1: got out? Yeah, a month, month and a half later.
0: Why? Like, don't you think your body was adjusted to being clean? Or
1: Well, there's this big fallacy that addicts tell themselves, like, this time's going to be different. Or, like, I'm going to do it once.
0: Like a gambler's mindset? Too. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Or like, I'm just going to do it on the weekends, you know? And um,
0: How did you start?
1: Then... um. To tell you the truth I don't even really remember but I'm sure you know I was living in the Bronx and the Bronx is kind of like the East Coast heroin capital you know Mm. so um, access wasn't an issue and I was getting paychecks and I was just kind of living in the Bronx without any friends or anything really the only people I knew were the people I bought drugs from so you know um, I think for a while I went to some meetings or something and um, but then it just you know like a like like a glove fitting onto a hand. I just <laughs> found my way back, you know.
0: Wow. So you're doing this. How long are you just like living, like in limbo, doing drugs, working until like things go south again? Um,
1: it's, well, things went south about every three and a half weeks for me.
0: <laughs> but, but they um, didn't land in a federal prison. No, today. no. So, um. I'm trying to
1: think what the, the. So I went to rehab. Actually, I, I met this girl.
0: It always starts with a girl. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're typically younger than me. You know. Oh, uh, you're into the younger ones. Well, I, I was. <laughs> and uh, she lived in Fairfield, so I was living in the Bronx. And uh, I moved back up to Connecticut. Was commuting to New York and stuff, which is a it's a it's a job unto itself. You know, spending three and a half hours a week a day on it on a train. You know, an hour and thirty there, an hour thirty back and um so i moved into this girl's house and uh she was young she's actually since deceased um she had already been doing drugs long before me but uh, i moved into her mom's house and lived in the basement and um living in connecticut was tough for me because like i could rather, i could rustle myself up to get from the bronx to manhattan to go to work uh with a beautiful girl lying in bed next to me and the idea of like three and a half hours on a train and going to work all day, not going to work became like a, uh, a pretty easy decision to make on a lot of occasions. So um, I did. And, and then we reached a point actually with her, I, you know, I I think I remember having a conversation with her where I was like, you know, for me at 30 years old, 31 years old, I think at 33 at this time, like it's kind of cool to like, just lay in bed with you and do drugs and this and that but like you're 21 years old like you doing drugs all day and laying in bed with me like that's really not that cool you know yeah and uh i went to treatment and uh in connecticut and um the idea was i'd get clean and her and i would stay together and stuff and i got clean for quite some time a few years after that she didn't and um we kind of just drifted apart. My my cousin owned a sober house, I went and lived at the sober house he was, he had in eastern Connecticut.
0: So a part of you always was trying to get better. Yeah, I was like, um,
1: it, it's hard to describe because I was a full on heroin addict, but it wasn't like uh, holding the sign on the side of the street like, I always wanted to have a job.
0: A functional Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh. I remember years later, you know, I I was at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting somewhere and someone said, you know, we all just want to drink like a gentleman. And I I told the girl after, I said, yeah, you know, I I always kind of wanted to smoke crack like a gentleman, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, like I said, I'm big into the Grateful Dead. So I had a lot of Grateful Dead friends, and moving down the line a little bit. So I was 33, 34. When I got clean, I relapsed when I was about 36, 37. And my best friend had texted me that he was coming back from Pennsylvania and he was dope sick. Do I know where he could get a few bags of dope? Oh man. Um, Which I did. So I responded on text, beep, beep, beep. Yeah, no problem, come call me when you're close.
0: You you were gonna give him the dope? Well, we were going to go get it, Okay.
1: you know, and so I did. Uh, He was eating pizza with his girlfriend, and I went and, you know, they didn't want to leave the pizza place, so he gave me the money. I went and got it. He gave me a few bags. I gave him, you know, we gave each other a hug, so we'll talk soon. This is, like, really my best friend, you know, and uh, he went home, and the next morning I got a call that he had passed away. Wow. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of where the whole federal prison thing starts kicking in.
0: So he overdoses on the drugs that you picked up for him? He,
1: by and large. I mean, there's some gray area because there was other partying going on, but as far as the um, United States Department of Justice... They, they needed say, a fall guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, it, it absolutely. Dude,
0: that's terrible, ride. man. I'm sorry. It was brutal. It was brutal, you know? what? Um, what's the first thing that goes on in your mind when you get that call? You know, it's really hard to... The thing about being a
1: heroin addict is, like, no matter what's going on in the world, the first thought in your mind is, I need to do a shot of dope, you know? Um, After that, I think it was almost like, I mean, I love this dude. I'm devastated by it. But there's, like, this uh, a level of selfishness that kicks in where, like, you just try to put it out of your mind. Um, which is an impossible task, an impossible task. Um, I remember his mom called me that day, and, you know, I'm at work, and I just get a text from, a call from his girlfriend that he died, and his mom calls, you know, I'm three quarters high, trying to get high, and, you know, the three hours when I got at work, trying not to let my boss know any of this is going on, and then my best friend's mom calls and you know how do you have those conversations you know
0: what does she say to you does she know that you were involved yeah okay um is she blaming you is she mad
1: surprisingly
0: enough i mean she was devastated you know but
1: um i don't think her anger was really towards me um now a lot of our mutual friends that wasn't necessarily the case you know um but i you know she was devastated and and um It was a a terrible phone call to have, you know, and I get a lot of anxiety thinking about, about, you know, her and my friend Sean's, you know, sister, and his dad and stuff. Wow. Eventually, when I had the court dates and stuff, you know, I got...
0: Yeah, how do they arrest you over this? How does it come back to you? What 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 exactly happens? I read somewhere about you know you getting pulled over too in a oh, car. They, this was a separate one. Oh, that was a said that was a separate, <laughs> separate. incident. Okay, so, so I, on this FBI arrest, what what happens? So th- that was I, I think
1: believe it was Memorial Day weekend of 2016. How long happened. after?
0: Oh. Uh,
1: nearly a calendar year. Okay. Um, which. After he got, after he passed away, I went into treatment and, uh, it didn't take, you know, and I came back out and was running around for like two months and me and this other girl got pulled over and I had, you know, drugs in the car and we got like a little stupid state charge and, um, somewhere in between there, the, 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 uh, DEA had showed up at my mom's house, like asking questions about me and, uh. She kind of gave him the run-around like I don't know, you know, he's out he's Doing his thing and I never really heard from them again for a while So when I got arrested on that state charge, I went to court and I was fully expecting Someone from the feds to be there to speak with me and they didn't you know um, and then shortly after that again at kind of like unfortunately using his death as a springboard somewhat I got clean you know i took methadone and stuff but i stopped doing all drugs and um i met a girl she moved in with me i got her pregnant and uh not two months after i find out i'm gonna have a kid uh the dea showed up at my mom's house again saying they had a warrant for my arrest
0: why do they keep going to your mom's house well uh,
1: <laughs> Because I get cheaper car insurance if I oh, keep- Oh, so you're
0: a <laughs> so Oh, man. Yeah. So your mom calls you to say you're under arrest? or
1: Yeah, like they're, he gave me the number. They're coming to get you. And uh, so I called the guy, and he's like, yeah, when, you, you could come in on Monday. Um, I remember at that point in time, it's like, holy the, shit, I'm the, having a kid. Thinking about running? no no i'm not built for that you know that wouldn't last that just multiplies my some people could do it and get away with it not, mm-hmm. me.
0: not me you're just too laid back yeah yeah so do you turn yourself in or do you got to actually do they not follow through and they find you and arrest you no
1: so they said we're gonna you got to come into court the federal courthouse in new haven uh i forget whether they said that, this was probably a friday uh either monday or tuesday so i went and did that and i guess they call that your uh arraignment maybe so you got to self-surrender right there. yeah i i got out you know i went out on bond
0: and can you talk about the bond in the federal system it's not like a usual bond you didn't have to pay anything
1: no no i think it was just um basically they could take my family's house if i didn't show up i think that was By and large what the conditions were so
0: you just had a signer sign for whatever and then that was it
1: yeah and then like my mom had to attest that i'd be living with her and and this and that
0: are your parents like disappointed that this is happening again
1: oh absolutely
0: (laughs) absolutely what does your mom say to you
1: i mean she she has to be flabbergasted yeah you know me and her are real tight and like i said you know i wasn't I did some scumbag things for the years, but I wasn't like a full-on scumbag drug addict. Like I, there was redeeming qualities in, in me, you know. I, I remember one time at one of the rehabs, they asked my mom. They they said, um, you know, what's John like when he's doing heroin? And she told him, it's kind of frightening. He comes over and mows the lawn, and,
0: you know, <laughs> mows brings, the lawn, bring
1: flowers, and you know, oh, it was wow. like this superhuman strength that it gave me to just. Go, 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 go,
0: go. You're like the friendly giant when you're on drugs.
1: Yeah, until I run out.
0: (laughs) Until you run out, then you're like a bad man. Yeah. With the busy fall season just right around the corner, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. The fall is a very busy time of the year for the podcast industry, so I'm so happy I found Factor to get my meals from. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door you'll save time eat well and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle this august get factor america's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and enjoy eating well without the hassle you choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes no prep no mess Head to factormeals.com slash 50 and use code locked in 50 to get 50% off. As this podcast grows, my days are getting busier and busier between booking guests, public speaking, filming TV shows, recording episodes, and editing short form, short form content. The last thing on my mind is what I'm going to eat for lunch. With Factor, I could keep my energy up with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. I've been focused on cardio in my training lately, incorporating a lot of running and high-intensity workouts. Because of this, I've been looking for calorie-conscious options. With Factor, you can get delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving head to factor com slash locked in 50 and use code locked in 50 to get 50% off your order. That's code locked in 50 at factor com slash locked in 50 to get 50% off your order and support our show. So you turn yourself in, do they give you like a plea deal or are you going to trial? What's a conversation with your lawyer? Like,
1: so they gave me this lawyer at first who said that he, uh, he thought it was a flimsy case and we should take it to trial. And uh, I, I don't know whether, thankfully or not, they, switched, they got a new public defender who was like, actually, she's like a really good lawyer. And I think she had ambitions to move up the chain. So working as a public defender was kind of her pathway to that. And um, the thought was that there was a fair chance that, um, I would get home confinement or probation on the charge. I mean, it was pretty evident that um, I wasn't like a drug dealer and that I had a drug problem. Uh, There was no real evidence against me. I mean, there was like these text messages and then my friend's girlfriend, you know, made some statements and everything. And um, so there was some optimism. You know, I was doing really good too. I was like clean. Like I said, you know, I, I used to uh, chair, I wouldn't call them AA meetings, but I used to go into like treatment centers and sit down and help people and talk to people and stuff. Like I was really helping out. I was doing pretty good. I had my child coming yeah. and there was some optimism that um, that I uh, would get that, not have to be, go to go away to prison.
0: Couldn't you go through the federal drug court too? Because that, that was an option. It kind of was, but- Or is it because of your criminal history that you couldn't get into it? I think that might have played a part in
1: it. And I think, too, that there was this – the sentencing guidelines were only like 9 to 16 months or something. I forget the exact number, but it was in that range.
0: And what exactly were you charged with anyways? Because this isn't manslaughter, right? No, which was a big fear of mine when I originally found
1: out I was getting arrested. I was just charged with – Possession with intent to distribute heroin
0: and fentanyl. So it is uh, probably a bit of a stretch that they were looking for on this. Absolutely. So, so like it was pretty clear that I gave
1: him heroin. Like you could reasonably deduct that. Now whether the fentanyl that was in his system came from me is really an up in the air question. Because there was other drugs he was using and stuff.
0: And you also weren't the one selling it. Like you weren't this big dealer that was going, looking, it's your best friend. He hits you up to do something. That would be like, if my friend hits me up, hey, can you grab something? Yeah, I'm going to go get it for him. Like anything, you know, if a friend asks for a favor.
1: Yeah. There's like this line of demarcation, you know, where like um, people that never really were involved with drug addiction and heroin addiction would look at what I did. Getting that for him as like uh, uh, an almighty sin, you know? Yeah. But- Generally, if, if, if when he texted me that, if I was to write back like, no, you know, that's not good for you. I don't want to be a part of you doing this. He would be like, shut the fuck up, you know? Like, Get me the shit. Yeah, you, know? you fucking kidding me, you know? Um, which doesn't excuse or lessen it. It's just the reality. When you live in a life like that, the, the, the action that I took that I ended up getting arrested for was really a benign action. From my perspective at that point in time obviously the result was catastrophic
0: was is his death a motivator for you now to not relapse or be involved with any type of drug use
1: um i don't know if i would word it exactly like that but you know i got his initials tattooed on my arm um my 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 daughter's my middle name is his last name Mm -hmm. like i love the dude you know he's a he's a, a big part of my life you know and um I don't know if it's a motivation you know i I think the reason why i don't use drugs now is i've had this basically this like personality shift where it was almost for a long period of time i had no choice but to do it like it was a a compulsion you know um i compulsively it was just like breathing waking up going to sleep and that cycle has been broken and um some changes were made in my life and quite simply i don't obsess over it and uh i not only do i not compulsively use drugs i really have no interest in it to tell you the, to tell you the truth no you know. so
0: you um you end up pleading guilty to this i
1: did i did so i pled guilty and um then they go to the sentencing and uh oh, i was pissed they they were like training one of the prosecutors so they put this like 26 year old girl up there who was like stuttering and stuff and she's really had yeah. like oh, oh. i was
0: so pissed you know and um who is your judge thompson okay is, is he still a judge now or
1: i think he retired but he like works on certain cases okay he wasn't bad you know the the, the whole thing was kind of a little bit of like uh i, I think what they wanted me to do they thought they were going to arrest me you know, put time on the table and get me to talk flip on bigger somebody people. else. Which, and
0: you didn't have anyone to flip on, or you didn't want it, to. It was
1: the whole thing was just a. That's just a losing. You know, I mean, I guess it crossed my mind maybe, but the the what's to say the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. You know, it, yeah. it's a it's a whole nother set of headaches you you set up to what save the probation that I thought I was probably going to get.
0: So, know? do you speak at sentencing?
1: I did. I was n- nervous.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and do you say like you're clean, all the good things you're doing and, and, and whatnot? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And
0: what's the result? What do they what do they do? He gives me
1: a year and a day, which allows me to get the good time off.
0: That's why they give a year and a day. Yeah. Huh?
1: So uh, he hit smack dab in the middle of the uh of the, the guidelines.
0: You know, isn't it crazy that you got prison time though? Like you you were turning your life around. If anything that could derail you if you weren't the type of person you are, that could have derailed your whole progress.
1: Oh, it, it did, it yeah. did. I was on methadone, like I had said. Yeah. And um, I relapsed before I went into prison.
0: Oh, you did relapse yeah. before prison.
1: So again, I had a baby. My my only child was born and uh, I had to get off the methadone to go to prison. And uh, so I was getting off the methadone, which so is just a task unto itself. Don't I,
0: they give methadone in prison or no? State prison. Oh, with, not the feds. Not the feds. Okay. So no. So what was that like to, um, to get off of it? It was
1: brutal. And then I wanted to get dental work done before I went in. And, uh, I I had a tooth that I needed to get yanked out. And I guess Novocaine doesn't really work for me. It's a thing that runs in my family. And I guess I have really strong roots in my teeth and I was coming off the methadone. I had like six weeks left till I go to prison. My baby's mom's driving me nuts. And it, they did like a four hour tooth extraction. It was like, the most brutal thing you ever went you could possibly ever go through and uh, i got up at a dental chair and i said "Fuck this you know I, i'm done with detox and i'm done with all this i'm just gonna get high until i go in so i got high for about six weeks before i went in
0: wow yeah. how long did you have to self-surrender three months about three months yeah what's it like to self-surrender and where do you self-surrender to the Danbury prison, I had to self-surrender. Danbury, so, Connecticut, right? Danbury. We're my hometown, and yeah. Everybody <laughs> thinks
1: it's a country club, but it's far from <laughs> that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, to tell you, I, I did a
1: big shot of dope the morning <laughs> that I was going to turn myself in. I mean, the brutal, the, the, the tough part of my, I keep kind of mentioning it on the side, but like my daughter is such a massive part of my life now and even then, you know, I've always been very fond of kids and... Um, that's the tough part. Like I could go hang out with a bunch of dudes and eat bad food and watch sports for a year and it sucks, but I, I I could get by, you know? Um, but being away from my kid that, you know, that's a, that's a, a a big issue, you know, Yeah. big problem.
0: So that day you self surrendered, what's it like to self surrender to the men's Danbury Connecticut federal prison?
1: Well, at the time, um, one of the unique things about heroin addiction is like, um, No matter what's going on in your life, if you could scrape together enough money to get good and high, your day is a resounding success. So, you know, I went in there bells and whistles high as a kite, you know, Um, not even thinking about the detox that's coming behind the walls and this and that. And, uh, you know, I went in and you get in, you know, you kind of have ideas, expectations of what it's going to be like. And it's like wholly different, you know, it's very different from the North Carolina state prison. Um, But but somewhat intimidating, I think, once I I got there. You know, one of the problems is a lot of the white people in federal prison are there for sex crimes against children. So immediately when you walk in the door, everybody thinks that's what you're there for
0: yeah how are you treated as a white man walking into a low security federal prison
1: you know to a large extent i don't really remember all that much like the first day and actually i got taken to the hospital i think on my second or third day
0: because of uh the, the detox
1: I, I got there and i just slept for days and days and days and i guess somebody caught on to it and they sent me out and i had to
0: yeah Um, what's it like to be taken uh from the hospital to the hospital from prison it's crazy (laughs) it's crazy. yeah describe that
1: man (laughs) so again it's all kind of fuzzy in my mind a little bit but I do remember it's kind of gross but so they call me the medical and I'm sitting there at the tent in the tent the, the the cell and the doctor's like I'm like either let me go back to the bed or give me something like I can't just sit I sit here like this and he's like, we're going to do something for you. And then the police come in and they're like, they can't tell you where you're going, you know? So uh, they they put you in the handcuffs and the shackles and everything and uh, walked me out. And they have a prison van, you know, so two police come with you to the hospital. And I remember as I was getting into the van, like all this stuff was going on. And I kind of like fainted, lost consciousness for a second and kind of almost fell into the van and I woke up with the car, with the van moving and everything. I told them I was like, I have to throw up. And they're like, just do it. And uh, so I threw up in the prison van. And uh, they took me to the hospital, put me in the, in the emergency room. There was actually one, um, the two police weren't that bad. They weren't that, they, you know, they, they were relatively cool with me. And there was one nurse that came in and uh, I couldn't even picture her face, but she sat there for about 20 minutes and just rubbed my chest, you know? And it was like, I was so appreciative of her for doing that.
0: And they're like armed armed COs too, right? They have guns on them and they're with you the whole step of the way. The whole time, yeah. They're guarding your room. I'm
1: locked to the bed, you know? My stomach is so upset from the withdrawal and everything. They're like, do you want a ginger ale? And I'm like, no, no, I don't want anything. And they're like, this is the only time you're gonna get a free soda. <laughs> Man, I don't care about a free soda. You know, just leave me alone. So what I did though is I kind of told them a little bit of a fib. Is uh, I told them that I was had been using Xanax as well because I kind of knew that like you can't just cold turkey you could cold turkey detox from heroin and it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're not going to die. If you detox from Xanax, you're going to die. Uh, you could, you could die. So I told them that, and that changed the doctor's tune a little bit. He was just going to send me back. But he sent me back with benzos which weren't a drug that i really used but they were immensely helpful in coming off the heroin when i was in prison
0: yeah i bet yeah so the sex offenders at the danbury low security prison yeah it's known for being like a sex offender yard yes so can you explain that like what the yards like how they are around what the dynamic is because some people will say oh sex offenders don't walk the same compound but that's not true in the feds.
1: No, no, they're, 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 they have their own little clique going on. You know, my experience was like, I walked into prison, dope, sick, confused, this and that. Like, I had no idea that all these white people I see walking by are child sex offenders, you know? And then after I came to my senses, I had a bunkie from East Orange, New Jersey, cool dude. And he kind of started giving me the scoop that, you know, the guy that ran the Connecticut car, he was in the bunk next to me. So they started like, breaking me in, and they're like, this one, this one, and they start pointing out, like, basically every white person in the cell. Most of them are there for, like, looking at pictures of child pornography, from what I gather. But then you got some that are there for a longer amounts of time, and it, it's really overwhelming, but they have, like, their own little clique, you know? They they play board games and go to church, and, uh, and you know, they could walk around the yard, they could go and any of the recreation places but in the units there's uh you know tv rooms that's like the big no-no like they're not allowed
0: they have to stand in the back when i was there for that one day i was on the yard i was told that they stand in the back of the room they don't get a seat
1: well they weren't even allowed in the rooms of my block really yeah they're not allowed in the tv room
0: now what about at the chow hall do they have a certain table that they could sit to eat yeah they they get
1: they get piled in there's like three tables and like An abundance of them and then everybody else kind of has room in the back One of the the marquee things that happened while I was there actually speaking of the the chow hall There was a a child sex offender who was a a cop from Massachusetts. I think his name was Handrahan and uh, I'm generally a pretty nice kind guy and you know I've probably been there about a month and this guy's walking past our table with his tray and he hits the deck And he's like holding his chest and for all we know this guy's having a heart attack right there and i kind of looked over at one of the because he sit with the people from connecticut you know and i look over at one of the guys like and he's like whatever you know and like my instinct is this guy's having a heart attack we got to do something to help him and the dude across from me is telling me you know fuck that you know just with a look He gave me this look and it was abundantly clear you know like these people we move in, yeah, in different yeah, you, ways. You can't mess with them. No, and, like, it also taught a little bit about myself, you know? Like, I don't want to save some guy that's hurt children, you know?
0: What happened to the guy?
1: He eventually came back a few days later. Yeah. But, like I said, they had their own clique. So, like, if somebody that was there for drugs or something like that, if that happened to them, we'd all be in the scoop of what happened, what's going on. But, you know, they're just kind of like, the, the, picture on, the picture on the wall, so to speak. You now know?
0: something special about the Danbury Connecticut prison is that it had a scratch bakery, which not all the federal prisons have. Um, can you explain like what some of the perks were like about how we got like fresh pastries every day and things like that, that made it different?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you might be surprised by my 280 pounds, but I'm actually a very picky eater. And um, I had a guy across from me who was like the baker. So he would, uh, you know, he'd go in there and make pizzas, make cookies, cakes, pies, and everything. And, you know, you give them,, you know, four stamps or something, which is like, I don't know, $2, $3. And they, you know, he'd make you a calzone, you buy the pepperoni at the store, he'd make you a calzone. Um, that was cool. I didn't, I was actually not aware that a lot of the prisons didn't have... Bakeries like
0: that. Yeah, that uh, when I went to the prison camp after I left Danbury, it had a big bakery because I worked in the bakery, and it's really cool. Like when it has the scratch stuff. I remember when I was in the shoe in Danbury, which is like Alcatraz there. It's got. Did you ever do shoe time? There? I didn't. Yeah, it's got the bars, <laughs> like the old <laughs> bars, and I was painting the cells there. um Remember, um, what's his name? uh It starts with a K. Kreminski or whatever. He waddled. He had like the big shoes. Um, and he, he waddled around. Polish guy. Yeah. he yes. waddled, um, So he had me painting the shoes and he would, uh, the shoe bars and he would call me squints. Um, <laughs> but I we'd get the pastries every morning and they were really nice. Like the danishes, the bear claws, everything that they made. Um, cinnamon and scr- rolls. And C- oh, those cinnamon rolls were good. Yeah. Now in Danbury, I don't know if you heard, but I heard, I would hear like a lot of rumors about prison staff, like sleeping with each other and crazy stuff. What were some of the rumors you were hearing?
1: Well, we had these two, two. You know, the, the the police they work like a maybe a two or three month shift on the same cell. So, the, like five days out of the week, you'll have the same two cops at the same time. And They had these two in our in our cell. Maybe right when I got there, that were like these two big huge dudes. Like they hulked over me, you know, and. uh They would get accused of having sex with the, like, they'd walk through the cell and, you know, someone five feet behind them would, you know, make some snide comment about the two of them sleeping with each other. And they'd turn around all mad and stuff, and we'd keep a straight face. Um, There was actually another dude from Connecticut. Um, You know, he's got the cell phone, and and, uh, he was texting with one of the CO, they, they moved in one girl CO that, I mean, she was attractive, you know. She lasted about three weeks and she was, you know, texting and Facebook messaging with one of the inmates.
0: There was a really hot case manager there too. I forgot. You know which one I'm talking about? I do. And there was also a rumor that the kitchen cop was sleeping with one of the the female, the kitchen cop that ran it was married to this case manager and one of them cheated with an inmate or there was some crazy rumor like that going on.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of the kitchen cops were always involved in everything because I think because they interacted with the inmates so much, so you would pick up the scoop on them. Then there was this other girl; she was like four foot ten, blonde-haired girl. I mean, when you're locked up, she was attractive at that point in time. You know, walking down the street, I don't know that I would find her attractive, (laughs) but uh, there it would be pretty clear who she was. You know shacking up with it, from the guards like the the word would get out which one she was jumping around
0: yeah the right guards on. are like high schoolers they're all talking about who's fucking who and this and that yeah uh, were you there w- when the jewish scandal happened with the jews uh using the rabbi to smuggle in um food i wasn't did you hear about that or no i don't know oh but i'll tell
1: you what the, the, you know for someone that hasn't been in prison you'd be amazed by
0: the jewish car of people they run that facility there <laughs> yeah. the the jews are so powerful in the federal prison system yes they take it seriously
1: yeah and they're one of the few they'll protect the sex offenders too. they
0: will because they a lot of them are sex offenders yeah. it's crazy and the other inmates need the jewish guys to get shit done yeah so they there's rules about which sex offenders they deal with yeah i i met one when i was in the shoe he was the one getting cell phones in and other contraband items and he was a sex offender himself yep. but guys did business with him; they broke bread with him because they needed him yeah you saw a lot of cell phones in Danbury.
1: Uh, i heard about him I- you know, I got sentenced to a year, so, like... You were staying out the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really messing. I didn't get into the gambling, really, or, or really too much of any of that stuff. But, I mean, there were... Like, if I needed something Googled, I would know who
0: to ask to, <laughs> to Google it for me. You, so know? you would just go up to them and say, hey, can you Google me something? Yeah,
1: mostly... I, I like sports. I'm a big sports fan. So, um, you know, we'd watch a lot of sports. And I, uh, I think it's, like, a cultural thing. Like, you know, a lot of guys from the inner city were, like, they want to argue about everything and it's not like mad arguing but like yelling about basketball and what this guy did and yelling about football so you get into these like climactic conversations about sports where you would absolutely need you know a lot of it's conjecture because you don't have google you know so certain ones would reach a point where you would go after find the phone guy (laughs) and figure out what the truth is.
0: You know, something I realized about you early on when I met you at the halfway house was you're very vocal about stupid rules. What were some rules at the Danbury low security prison that you encountered that were just like ridiculous, (laughs) whether it was from the inmates or from the staff,
1: huh? Chairs, the possession of chairs. So like there was the, you know, this TV room, and let's say there's 22 chairs in there and 50 people who are allowed to watch tv will say non-sex offenders in the unit and like you'd walk into the room and you know it wasn't like this person put the chair there but uh there'd be 16 empty chairs and you would sit in a chair and someone would be like that's my chair you know and a lot of times it wasn't even like get out of my chair you know i got along with most people but it's like holy shit we're gonna be possessive about you know a chair you're not sitting in
0: they're possessive about spaces too (laughs) if i I saw an empty space and i'd put my chair there they said that's my spot yeah absolutely air they're possessive over air absolutely it's crazy
1: now one of the other unwritten rules there is like um black people and white people don't tend to bunk together so when I got put in, you know, I self-surrendered. So they weren't really prepared. They put me with a, a black guy from New Jersey. A sports fan, me and him were cool. And probably after I was there about a week, we got called into the uh, case manager's office. And she's like, I'm sorry we've let this slide, you know, but we'll get you guys split up. And my bunkie was like, no, he's staying with me. And uh, we got along. We just had a good thing. We got along. So me and him, we were the only... Black and white bunk and you know, out of this 40, 48, whatever bunks in the in the dorm. And then, you know, you kind of move into neighborhoods inside the thing. And he said, Come on, we're moving down here. And you know, a couple weeks before I'm going home, I'm looking around and it's like, holy shit. The two bunks next, and you got the Muslim guy in the bottom was doing like 17 years. You got the guy, Pop, cool dude from Baltimore, who, like, if you ever saw this dude walking down the street, you'd be like, oh, my God, get me away from him. But he was the nicest guy in the world. He's doing 30 years, 17 next to me. My bunkmate's doing 12. The other guy from DC's doing 16. And, you know, here I am going home in three weeks. But they, they were cool. You know, I, I handled myself in a, in a way. And also the haircuts, you know. Um, you don't think of it at the time, but, like, I got a MS-13 gang member taking apart a, a, a razor blade and you know cutting my hair in the in the bathroom and these are things like if you were watching a tv show or something you'd be like oh he's gonna he's gonna cut him he's gonna cut him but it, like not even a thought in your
0: mind you it's know? just so different yeah, yeah at you, the low security prisons and everybody's humanized
1: you know it really humanizes people yeah in, in a large sense
0: so you end up doing what like seven months there oh uh, let's see i think i I think it was closer to 10, probably.
1: Okay. About 10, and then maybe a month in the, in the halfway house, maybe nine and a half.
0: So, you go to the halfway house. What's that like? And you know, where do you go? Oh, it's miserable. I went to uh,
1: Waterbury, the Chase Center in Waterbury. Now, they'll, the halfway house, they kind of let you walk around a bit. But to give you an idea, this neighborhood, like, where's the hood? <laughs> <laughs> first day I got there, um, walking down the street to the, they gave me a pass to go to some, Place that gives away free clothes. So I'm walking down the street. I got prison Sweatpants prison sweatshirt on and this lady walks up to me like yo, you got some money Well, I'm thinking like holy shit What what is going through your mind that would make you think that I have money to give you? (laughs) I mean look at me but uh, oh, it's terrible that I had never spent that much time in Waterbury you know, I spent a lot of time in Bridgeport and stuff. And sometimes you got to step over, you know, dog crap in Bridgeport and you see some things. But in Waterbury, there would be human feces on the sidewalk. Like it was a dregs neighborhood.
0: If you're from Connecticut, everyone knows Waterbury is not the spot no, you want to be in. And I remember like when I got to that halfway house, because this is where we end up meeting, they said they, there was like an escape, <laughs> like not a couple months earlier from that. Yeah. Where inmates are running away.
1: I think af- right after you and I left, one of the state
0: guys inmates, left.
1: He he escaped.
0: And a lot of the times, the guys, it's so miserable there. They don't. They just say, "Take me back," and then the marshals come and pick them up. Yes. Or or the state cops that come pick them up and escort them out. Yeah. Because there's so many petty
1: rules there. Well, I think it's designed like that. So basically, you know. I think I figure everything out, but <laughs> they put out so many rules that it would be completely impossible for someone to follow all these rules, which then gives them the latitude to decide who they want to reprimand and who they want to send back. Cause it's just the rules they have. It's, it's literally impossible to follow. You're breaking rules from the minute you walk in that place.
0: And they say it's a halfway house, like halfway to home stepping stone, you know, to getting into the free world to reintegrate. But the rules are, like you can explain um the difference between the state and the federal guys that didn't make any sense
1: no it was it was it was ridiculous
0: like the federal guys couldn't have smartphones you're you're supposed to be in the free world but you can only have a flip phone yeah but the state okay. guys in the same building could have a smartphone you know i forgot about that yeah and just like the dry, the state guys can't get their license But the Fed guys can to drive. Yeah. And then the visits were terrible in that little tiny room.
1: Cockroaches everywhere.
0: Food, the bathrooms. It was like purgatory, you know?
1: (laughs) It's like you've gotten past the the struggle and you're almost at the end gate, but now you've got to
0: suffer through this. And it's a for-profit business. Absolutely. They're taking a cut of your paycheck. They're doing this, they're doing that. They get funds too for like,
1: if, if I get a job, Or even if I fill out the paperwork saying that I went and searched for a job, they get more funds for it. So like, um, I sat down with one of the case managers once and went over the logistics of like, I'm leaving here in a month. Um, I don't live anywhere near here. I don't have a car. Like, am I really going to go look for a job that I can't keep? And then I actually got one. So they sent me out to look at all these jobs and I got this job at this plumbing supply shop in Norwalk, Connecticut, which would have been a ridiculous commute to make on a train and a bus and everything. So I got the job and I come back and I'm like, you guys aren't going to believe it. I got a job. And they're like, okay, give us your boss's name. We got to call him. I'm like, what do you mean you got to call him? They're like, yeah, when you're working, we need to call your work like two times a day to make sure you're there lo and behold they got back after they called them the guy wrote back like oh sorry we found someone else to fill the position you know that's
0: crazy yeah they i remember when i was working at the pizzeria they would call like twice a day yeah they just it's ridiculous they almost didn't let me go to my whole foods interview because they they said they needed proof and i was like they called me and told me to go how am i going to get proof there's no like document (laughs) or anything it's tomorrow plus you can't really like go to a prospective
1: employer and be like you think you could fill out some paperwork some my halfway house yeah there's a lot of paperwork they
0: have to fill out too yeah now describe the staff that works there what's the staff like are these like mature older professionals or are these like young kids that are working there that don't give a fuck about us
1: so you had like the people that were like the i say counselors they were like you know they give you the toilet paper and like show you the phone and this and that they were like Useful idiots (laughs) And then you had the people in the offices and they were just plain old idiots, you know, and um, It it was like it's completely overwhelming there. I remember they had like you gotta get these passes and stuff and uh, the the one my case manager there so I reached a point there where they like wouldn't let me leave and I didn't have any passes because they told me I was going to leave. So I was just stuck in this building for like three weeks. So for my recreation, I would start typing these letters to like the head guy in the office, in the halfway house. I'd write them to his bosses and I would just write these, you know, scathing letters, you know? And at one point, it's like, I, 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 you have a case manager, like their job is to manage your case. And they were just, it was just something that didn't have it. it was like a 20 year old girl that didn't care about it didn't care uh you know i've been you i know a little bit about using drugs and it was clearly evident <laughs> the way she was sniffling and her mannerisms that she was using cocaine we had a mutual friend as well who i know f- full well i used to you know do cocaine with her
0: and uh it was just brutal, and, and that, they had two computers. You could search for jobs that everyone was hogging all day for Facebook. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I remember there was one guy that oh he smelled so bad, and I used to wake up early, like four forty-five in the morning, to go down there, and this freaking guy he'd be down there from four forty-five in the morning till ten o'clock at night. You just wanted to he smelled so bad, you know, and you just to go you know listen to a little bit of music or or, or Google something. I mean it's a it's a It's a terrible setup, it's a terrible
0: setup. Now this halfway house is where I would meet you. Yeah. I remember walking in that room, I got there like late at night. What's your first impression of me? Like, what do you think?
1: Well, naturally, like we said before, anytime a white person comes in, first thing that goes through your mind, is "Is this dude a sex offender? You know, that's like the first question you ask. Um, But to tell you the truth, I was pretty relieved after I got to know you.
0: there was one two other guys there yeah we were in a big room but it wasn't full no
1: no one of the guys was this little sex offender guy and the other was like a a
0: a homie for oh (laughs) the guy on the left of me was the sex. (laughs) yeah 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 Mm -hmm. yeah and uh
1: one of the things i really struggled with in, in prison was uh finding like intellectual, I'm no genius, you know, but my mind moves fast and like, I need to be stimulated and have intellectual conversations at some point in time. You know, I can't just talk about like what I'm going to do when I get out and you know, did the Knicks win last night? Like, there's gotta be more to it. Something, you know, nuanced humor, something. And uh, that, you offered that to me, which I was very grateful.
0: We. For. I remember just laying in the bunk cause there was nothing else to do. Yeah. We had nothing. I, I had just gotten there. So I was there, uh, you know, all weekend without a pass so i didn't have a smartphone smuggled in yet or anything like that i remember i used to have to smuggle in the iphone um uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah in the in, in the backpack because they'd wand me in yeah and they'd breathalyze me um but and i had the flip phone in my hand but um we would just sit there and talk yeah for hours because that's all we had to do yeah all the other guys are going crazy over fuck what was that show um big brother they're all going nuts about it at the halfway house. They hog the TV room about Big Brother and that little TV downstairs. Yeah. But me and you would sit and we would talk and you would tell me you like you were so passionate about your daughter and wanting to be a good father and doing all these things. And, you know, it was, it was nice. Like you had a plan. And I didn't know any of the stuff that you talked about today about you at that time. Yeah. I just knew you were a guy that went to Danbury. We hit it off over the stories that we could share and the idiotic staff at the halfway house. Yeah. And then we both went on a home confinement and we haven't seen each other in four years. No, no, <laughs> no,
1: no. And, and you know, the judge, from what I've told you prior to this, like having a plan to be, you know, ever present in my daughter's life and stuff is a good plan to have, but really at 39 years old, whatever I was at that time, 40, 39, probably um, the idea that I would be able to take steps and actually follow through on that was really a far-fetched thought. Like, you know, I could generally put together a few months of good behavior and this and that. And um, thankfully I've been able to, you know.
0: So Um, you were able to accomplish that goal?
1: By and large, yeah. I mean, piece by piece, you know. What's Um,
0: your life like now, you know, four years later? Well, I'm a, the, the big thing is I'm a single full custody parent of a five and a half year old girl, you know. Um and that's awesome because there's not a lot of, you know, people out there like that. No, not at all. <laughs> you're you're one of the few.
1: One of the few, you know. and then that have
0: been to prison too. Oh, forget about it. You
1: yeah. you you know, you're really whittling down the list <laughs> at that point in time.
0: You're breaking like all those barriers and, and societal, you know, uh, opinions and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's like, you know, we talked a little earlier about purpose and like,
0: uh, you know, I've got the
1: ultimate purpose now. Um I I you know i always had ambition somewhat had ambitions and like uh maybe not even specific ambitions but ambitions to do something with my life whether i knew what that doing something looked like and then she was put in my in my life and uh it's it's kind of me and her were kind of like yin and yang a little bit and she's like the most uh feminine little girly five and a half year old in the world and i'm this big you know construction worker that likes watching football and then you know swings an axe and kicks a shovel for a <laughs> living you
0: know yeah but you got you have so much love for her like i see like the pictures because we've been following each other on facebook yeah you guys are doing stuff like you go to the park you go to the beach like you go on trips
1: we, we go everywhere that's a,
0: that's like so awesome and wholesome and stuff
1: yeah i t- you know i took her on vacation like vacation when i was young my dad would take me on vacation once in a while but like the idea you know i'm about to move to Fairfield, I I bought a Volvo, Uh, you know, like, these are things that you could never imagine would happen, and, you know, I work, I got this job right when I got out, pretty much, Uh, maybe I started two months after I got out, and uh, still at the same job, it's a pretty good job, you know, I don't get rich over there, but I make a living, and, uh, you know, I took my daughter to Puerto Rico last year, which, the idea of me being able to, you know put all that together to plan a vacation and actually execute it i mean this is like miracle stuff from where i was five
0: and a half six seven ten fifteen twenty yeah man that was a complete turnaround complete complete would you take anything back like knowing everything you know now do you have any regrets in that manner or no because it brought you to exactly where you know you needed to be
1: there's probably some interpersonal things with certain people. You know, I, Sometimes I let anxiety get the best of me. Uh, my buddy, my best friend who passed away, You know, me and his mom were in contact for a while. Um, and once I got out, I really had a lot of anxiety about that. I really wish I had handled that better off the bat, because um, now it's like, it would have been difficult then. Now it's like climbing a mountain after not speaking to someone for, for five years and the uncomfortable nature of that initial conversation. So that's one thing. But as far as my life, uh, I kind of don't think so. You know, I mean, it would have been great to not have to go to prison. It would have been great to have this job and be able to plan vacations in my 20s and stuff. But, um, you know, I've kind of got this unique life going. You know, my daughter goes to school in Connecticut, a nice town in in Connecticut. And uh, she's probably going to be the only one in her kindergarten class that has a single parent definitely going to be the only one in kindergarten class with a single dad and I it's a safe bet she'll be the only one that you know had a dad that went to prison no. and uh, the feedback on her that I get and I mean it's like it's it's my you know her her nursery school teacher tells me like she's a she's a gem whatever you're doing just <laughs> keep doing it you know? say
0: prison have yeah. <laughs> a dad that goes to prison yeah. but you know the, the single moms are gonna love that john they're they're <laughs> gonna love that that you got the daughter and um you know the felony too you know
1: yeah it's kind of like the best of both worlds you
0: but know? you're living like this good second act and you probably thought in the past that you've had multiple acts but now like you got something here you know you, you got meaning purpose you got an amazing daughter and you you're just you're living the life now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 what I have today, I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, there, it's, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, five and a half year old kids, a lot of work.
0: Yeah. A, uh, you, the worst is yet to come, right? What they say the teenage years.
1: I could, I can't even think about <laughs> it, you know, but uh, it's cool. You know, we go swim, we got a little pool at our condo. It's like, this this life of Riley, you know? That's
0: awesome. Now, what would be your message to someone? What's the takeaway? from someone that watches this, whether a young adult, a boy, a girl, you know, a woman, a man, if they watch your episode today, what do you want the takeaway to be?
1: Probably to just kind of keep going, you know, like, uh, I was pretty well defeated at many asked many different points in my life, but, uh, it's, I've just had this revolutionary change, you know, for me, I don't really go to like AA meetings. But i went through like the 12 steps and uh that was monumental for me uh that that really changed a lot of things and uh really just to to to, you know persevere i mean life can beat you up a little bit you know but you know i think looking at me it's pretty evident that if you start making good decisions and you know a lot of the cards have fallen in my favor as well but uh spectacular things can happen. If somebody, you know, if you asked, like you said, if somebody from high school would John be a single parent raising a five-year-old girl, they'd be like, you know, call the police, (laughs) you know, like this is bad news, but it's great.
0: But people can change, you know, and and you shouldn't look at someone the way you looked at them years ago. You got to give people a second chance. Yeah. And sometimes they need a third or a fourth, but you know, if someone's saying that they're a changed person, See if they are, you know, give them that opportunity.
1: Yeah. And really, if you start, I guess the big thing, if you start acting, like you got to act your way into thinking good. You can't really think your way into
0: acting. I mean, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Just show up, be different. And your thoughts will follow in that path.
1: You do good deeds, good thoughts will follow
0: absolutely john thank you so much for driving out here today catching up you know look forward to continuing our friendship man it's been great to you know stay in touch and uh, again i'm really happy you came to do this show uh you've been on my like little wish list of guests (laughs) for a while so this is great the audience is gonna love it we always get a lot of good feedback when i bring someone on that you know has either seen me in prison before or relates to me to my story in, in some way or another it gives like the the viewers some insight into my journey that they're curious about. Absolutely. So it's great.
1: Yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm, and yeah. I'm psyched to see you doing well, you know? Thank it's you, cool. man. You got to
0: actually watch a full episode now. You said you just watched the clips. I'm a single, <laughs> I'm
1: a single parent. Sometimes I don't have time to take a shower.
0: You <laughs> well, know? you can watch this one. <laughs> cool. Thank cool, you, John. Man.
1: Thank you.